0: Oh no, it's going. All just, right, just a bit of hanging.
1: So someone complained to us about doing too many patron episodes. You know what the easy, <laughs> you know what the the easy four dollar
0: solution to that is? Oh, I know, that. I know. We can tell, we can tell. Yeah, it's... start a start a revolution. We never have to pay for anything again.
1: Plus, we we know how much you make, and you know who you are.
0: <laughs> oh, oh my, my God. God. God! Always, uh, that's too. That's that's inside baseball. Let's uh. Let's talk about yeah. Pablo Neruda. <laughs> he was poisoned. Was he poisoned? <laughs> he didn't die after the Pinochet regime moved in. He was poisoned now. Was he? Where did, when did that come out? Uh, I read it on Democracy Now. It looks like it has been picked up by a few outlets. The Guardian says forensic science study finds Chilean poet Pablo Neruda was poisoned. That was three days ago. Very recent. Even USA Today is saying, Pablo Neruda was due to poison, not cancer. They said it was cancer before. Um, really? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I actually
2: don't didn't know the story of um why, of like how he originally did, like what the original
0: story of how he died was. Yeah. So the, it's interesting. It says, according to the official version, this is on the Guardian, uh, Neruda... Uh, who made his name as a young poet with uh, 20 poems of Love and a Song of Despair, died from prostate cancer and malnutrition on September 23rd, 1973, 12 days after the coup that ousted Salvador Allende, the the democratically elected president. Um, Some, including his nephew, long believed he was murdered and blah, 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 blah. Now it seems there is evidence that he was murdered or at least... There is foul play of some kind involved, unless he poisoned himself accidentally or something, but um, that seems unlikely. We should be
1: digging up a whole bunch of intellectuals. I mean, there's lots of bodies to dig up, but specifically intellectuals who killed themselves suspiciously
0: including add this in because of our previous track record of talking about chile and the uh coup can i say one more thing about this this new thing i see
2: the cbc version of the article that talks about this they always like to shout out when it's like involves a canadian and apparently one of the scientists who discovered this is from mcmaster university in hamilton ontario
1: yeah we have a massive inferiority complex
2: yeah, like the CBC will always just any story that's happening on the world stage. If you read the CBC version, if a Canadian is involved, they will make sure that you know about it.
1: No, no, we we do that, too, though. Anytime it is a Canadian that's mentioned, we, we mention that it's a Canadian specifically who's being mentioned.
2: Yeah, I remember actually one yes. time I, I, when I first discovered This American Life, obviously, which was kind of like one of the first successful narrative podcasts. I remember going into their back catalog and they had an old episode about Canada and they interviewed uh, one dude and he was just talking about how all Canadians in the States have like an uncanny ability to just po- tell their American friends. Whenever a person <laughs> comes up, they're like, Oh, he's Canadian. He's Canadian. This,
1: this is an inf- an inferiority jingoism.
2: Exactly. <laughs> it's like John, John Candy comes up. Oh, it's Canadian.
0: Oh, Alex you know? Trebek,
1: Canadian. Oh, do you know? Yeah. Speaking of assassinations. As far as I know, and this is one of the things I like about the podcast again, is I don't have to cite my sources, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure cast an undergraduate degree that Guy de shot himself in the heart. And I gotta say, who the fuck does that? You know? But that's a, he that's gives a weird us, place. He gives us some suspicion. Maybe it was symbolic for him. That would be he seems like an over dramatic and really self involved dude.
2: I was just um, going to say that that but, sounds like that. That's that. I'm actually not surprised that that's how he killed
1: himself. But in the beginning of this book,
0: the number
1: one, he he dispo or exposes his conspiratorial mindset by saying that I obviously cannot speak with complete freedom because having then to account. For the readers who are both attentive and diversely influential, I obviously cannot speak with complete freedom. Above all, I must take care not to give too much information to just anyone. Our unfortunate times thus compel me, once again, to write in a new way. Some elements will be intentionally omitted, and the plan will have to remain rather unclear. Readers will encounter certain decoys, like the very hallmark of the era. So, we are reading, folks. Comments on the Society of Spectacle written I think exactly 20 years after the Society of Spectacle 1987 The TLDR of the book is by the way I was not wrong about everything I was in fact right about everything but what do you guys think of this very self this very self involved introduction where he's he thinks like the CIA need to read his book to get tips on the spectacle because of how influential the book is and also he's trying to signal to the reader by the way there's going to be a lot of you're going to have to decode this this is a kabbalah-esque peak of of theory, theoretical writing and people are people are on to it in that so, cia report that you looked at did Debor come up at all by the out, way
2: did Debor come
1: i don't know you know what he was influential in the sense that like during may 1968 for example many of his slogans or the slogans from the situationists became like um like they'd be spray painted onto walls for example one of them is um ille interdit interdire or something like that which means it's forbidden to forbid
2: <laughs> Right. oh yeah 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 that's who uh, that that opens up a whole can of worms uh like but no i was going to say was
1: but no, the CIA report, I will say the CIA report did not mention him at all, which I'm sure after having read this, these comments, this comment book, he would be probably upset. No, he'd be upset. Oh, he'd be
2: upset. Oh, OK, because I was going to say for the audience that doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, one of Pills's videos, actually one of my favorite of his videos, uh, looks at radical theory on the CIA and a report that I think they basically investigated and the a threat assessment. They're like, how much of a threat is French theory? And they basically concluded that it wasn't a threat and it was all infighting and it was all like, this is no threat to us. This is consistent. This is consistent with our interests, basically. So I would have thought that DeBoer would have been happy to not be included because maybe he they did. They were separately talking about DeBoer as maybe an actual threat, whereas these uh, like
0: circle jerkers weren't. Were they were, were they in those in those CIA things? though? were they generally looking at the 50s, the 1950s intellectuals?
1: No. They were looking at the 80s. I think the 50s, they were much more of a threat because they were like part of the mobilization. That's but right. in the That's... 80s, they were like, okay, these, these kids, or they were kids, you know, Foucault and uh, Deleuze and et cetera, they were all kids in the 60s and now they're like growing up and publishing and becoming really famous. Yeah, was the exactly. Thing. Like becoming.
0: Yeah, spectacle I mean, famous. Re-
1: relatively. So they're like, is this a threat for like another 68? And the answer was, nah. <laughs> well, Especially I, And,
2: and uh, specifically in comparison to more doctrinaire Marxism, right? That like focuses on materialism and focuses on like mobilizing class struggle. And then it's like you get to these more like post-structuralist, post-modern French theorists. And they're just like, yeah, this isn't a threat at all. This is no problem for us.
1: Or or the badouian kids who are like smashing up their classroom, <laughs> trying to look for CIA microphones in their cr- classroom. There's this, this huge like self-inflated sense of the importance of what they're doing. And I'm going to pass that on to DeBoer as well. Hugely inflated sense of importance about what. A little pamphlet is going to do to
0: change the world. I I would be cautious about attributing it to anything about the, these intellectuals, though. I, like I wouldn't say there's something wrong with postmodern theory, which the CIA has successfully assessed. I would say that it's part of the times there's a historical reason right after the 60s during the 60s spectacle rises to its prominence okay 70s neoliberalism sets in by the 80s you don't have you know the close relationship of intellectuals with governments you don't have that kind of celebrity they used to have back in the jean-paul sartre days so i think there's a good historical explanation it doesn't say as much about postmodern theory as such, as it does about the changing times.
2: That's true. I mean, I don't think that it says anything about whether postmodern theory is good or convincing or not. It's more like a threat assessment, right? It's like, is it a threat to American interests? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, so, like, but the, but, whether it's a threat or not, I mean, maybe that could be the litmus test for some radicals, I guess. And that's kind of why it's a bit of a dunk on some radicals, because for them, maybe a litmus test would be like, it should be a threat, right? <laughs> Like I ah mean, it it's not it's just not but the fact that it's not, it doesn't necessarily say anything about the quality of the philosophical work that's being done, right? It just says more about its practice, the the potential for its practical impact in the real world, which I think the CIA are pretty correct to say,
1: uh, pretty limited, yeah, this is a this is a good thing to hit home because they did consider the French Communist Party. It was like the second largest party after the war. Um, and then they say, you know, the, le- the neolib left is in power in France and we don't have to worry about the country anymore. Let's wrap up and go home, boys. Yeah, yeah. After it's, they killed the board, of course.
0: It, yeah, <laughs> if, if they did and threw Deleuze out of an apartment building.
1: Yeah, after supposedly burning all of the rest of his work, I don't think so. We need to, we need to get toxicology on Guattari also. Sudden heart attack. Those things don't just happen. If they,
0: uh, if they did say it was a threat, I would have then had to ask, well, why? What are they looking at? <laughs> but saying it's not a threat means <laughs> it's like either they miss something or good. They're not worried. Good for them. They can pay attention to cracking regimes and whatever else they like. Like the the the, like, like the kind of intellectual left
2: is feels pretty neutered when it comes to like like direct action.
0: Well, yeah, the, the, the left, the left, the, the late left.
2: And the, the only direct action that they tend to be involved in lately has to do with more identity issues, which also really isn't a threat to capital, right? which also isn't a threat to neoliberalism.
0: Yeah, it's, it's again, it's that spectacle self-criticism. It's, it's contained. It's, it's, it's innocuous. It's, it's these new conditions. The spectacle is kind of new in a way. He said it was about forty years old when he was writing in the sixties. So it's it's and then he, he adds something, which we'll get to in this in these comments. But I think the spectacle is a good explainer of why the left has failed. Because they've become spectacular. I mean this is spectacleized, yeah.
1: The spectacle is a tumor on something that's real, and the real stuff is still there. It's just like It's more easy to engage with the spectacle. It's more easy to fight people there. It's more easy to write pamphlets. I don't know why he doesn't think his book is part of the spectacle. That might be something worth saying. But instead, I wanted to focus... I I think he showed here a level of assholery that I've been hesitant to bring up because I wanted to give it the most charitable reading. The first bit that we read him because we've been doing the Situationist now for over a month. But he seems like an asshole. From like not only getting into fights, banishing people from his group all the time, writing these tracks about—I think he wrote something about Sart that said, you know, Sart's a corpse when he wasn't yet a corpse, of course. Uh, but he—all this infighting—and then here, this intro I, that I'm still not over. I must take care not to give too much information to just anybody, and maybe I'm being triggered by relationships with people that I've met like this, because you guys are, are going to know the types that I'm talking about. The academic, especially a grad student, that they don't have nothing to show for shit, but because they think they're so smart, and since their narcissism has triumphed in their own, in their own mind, they are this huge deal. If not now, then soon. And that's the difference because Debord actually wrote a book. But, you know, the grad student who's worried about everyone stealing their ideas because they are about to change the landscape of academia and theory forever. Or, or in Debord's case, that shadowy forces are combing his book. So he has to throw them off by putting secrets in it. So that sounds like what he's doing here. Yes, he wrote a very famous book. Yeah, he's quoted and cited often for this concept, but he's implying that like, I don't know, uh, McKinsey is gonna be reading his book looking for looking for proclamations about the future. And this this is better for him, I guess, to believe than the truth, which is capital doesn't think, bro,
0: and your revolution failed. Sorry. Well, I mean there's you you, you brought a lot up there. From my very limited delvings into the biograph biographical tradition of Debord. there are different ways of reading his domineering personality what some think is his domineering personality letting people into kicking out people from this group of the si the situation is international uh one way is to yeah read it negatively reflecting on his personality being being like a totalitarian or domineering or, or or controlling of those around him and the other one is that the more charitable reason way to read it is to say that he doesn't want the situationist international to like ossify into a group with dedicated people who sort of follow it like a like a movement he wants it i mean it never ascended above say like 70 members And he wanted them all to be dedicated, but not in a way like, I don't know, maybe he was defining it against Stalinism or something. Not like a party, but just like a group of talented and dedicated people who are affiliated rather than, you know, he was was managing the group in that way. So the biographical tradition, yeah, I mean, people are fighting in there it's pretty it's pretty intense actually still the debate over deborah's life and did he have an incestuous relationship with his half-sister or whatever what's his personality like is that whole thing and then in what we're talking about now in the first comment you know I tried to look for the explanation for that and not just jump to oh he's like become increasingly paranoid and that by the 80s he's so he's so wary of of governments and secret agents looking at him that he's writing in this way because immediately after in the second paragraph of the first comment he says our unfortunate times compel me once again to write in a new way so you you look at his society the spectacle he's writing in a certain way aphoristic style apodictic sets of theses here he's saying now i'm going to write in a new way because he's 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 fitting his style to fit something he sees in this new development the times right so you know he's omitting things and he's not really making a he's not he's not laying down the plan it'll have to remain unclear I don't know I I tried to read it as he's just now like going through a change of style and approach rather than it being this weird paranoia people have read here as well one of the changes is he actually gives examples
1: in this book that's a pleasant change what do you think do you do you know of any debord scholar I don't I know don't know that there are any but i want I want to ask them because he's basically saying here in number one you have to read this book like a Taylor Swift song where there's a bunch of like secrets secrets to decode everywhere and I don't want to say is that is, a, that is that true in a Taylor I didn't know that about Taylor Swift that's a thing <laughs> that's a thing Oh, really? Well, you you know anyone who knows me knows where you can find me on a Saturday night. It's on the floor of my bedroom, sitting on the carpet, cracking open a T Swift jewel case and trying to find out which boy the song is about. That's that's I literally listen
2: to no top pop music. I only listen to podcasts.
1: Ooh. Look at you. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm
2: just saying I don't listen to any shit. I don't listen to any like, stuff. I mean, sometimes like story time. I don't know, my like my girlfriend listens to like R&B stuff and like maybe some pop and like that's my little my, my, my the the limitation of my exposure to anything pop related in terms of music.
1: In any case, do we need to decode this book or do we just want to move on? I think we're too tired to decode it. So you're going to have to sorry listener. You're going to have to go to someone else or read it yourself. Kel Horror. Wasn't that some shit that like Strauss talked about, right?
2: Like the esoteric and the exoteric reading of the text? That was like
1: yeah, but that would be in that would be in any text, and he's declaring, by the way, there's a lot of secrets in this book, so you should re- you should read it carefully. He's, a,
2: he's actually telling us that there's an esoteric reading of it, like whereas the the other ones didn't say that explicitly. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. We'll, I'm just. I'm really happy that French
0: scholars. Can
2: I? Can I just say I'm? I'm excited that this is the end of our <laughs> engagement with the spectacle. I. I feel fatigued <laughs> yeah. by this. I. I don't like. I mean, I don't think that. I don't actually think that I have like strong, strong disagreements. Other than the stuff I said in like the beginning of the series about the emancipatory potential that I think he was implying, I think that's all kind of like bogus. But in terms of the account of the spectacle, like the as a description of re, of like social reality, I I I'm like pretty much on board. Uh, I just think there's maybe theorists who say it better, who have more precise distinctions in the way that they talk about the media, what Debor calls the spectacle. So, I'm just glad we're done.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know you are. But you know what, part part and parcel with the reason that you don't like this book you can call it that that imprecision is also probably the reason that it's so adaptable and generally popular because you can use this one pretty common basic word spectacle to describe all of media experience it's entertainment it's politics it's even the technology that underlies it. And other theorists would maybe speak of this part or that part of it. Um, Lacan and the imaginary is, is interesting to compare it to, or Baudrillard's etage in the scene, or McLuhan's secondary orality. But none of these things, you know, none of them have the same hit that spectacle does because it just is yeah it means all of it
0: yeah mass media capitalism right it's it's a way of talking about late capitalism and what's worse is it's a common word that we use so it's gonna conflict in its meaning especially if you don't read what the spectacle is according to Debord and you use it as if it's got its dictionary meaning
2: yeah i mean this the the spectacle exactly like i think that's the thing it's it's a term that's used for another purpose already um but yeah, even I mean, in theory, just like,
0: with like uh, with Barth.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I really like other concepts like Baudrillard's, you know, hyperreal. I think like that captures something more specific and interesting to me that I think is part of the spectacle. I don't know if you guys would agree that like hyperreal, as you know, again, admittedly, I'm not that familiar with Baudrillard, but you know, through pill, through plastic pills videos, I feel like I've gotten a fairly decent idea of what it is, and maybe that would be like an effect. Of the spectacle, or how would you fit that into what the spectacle is?
1: I do want to say that because I've got comments from uh, other people on on our series here that kind of make that reference. But there's a really important distinction is that uh, because Baudrillard criticizes the concept of the spectacle. So that's the first thing to note. In um, Ecstasy of Communication, for example. But the hyperreal is different in that the hyperreal is where there are no originals anymore. And it's very important to DeBoer that there is that original because the real is labor relations. Labor relations still exist, they haven't changed. They're actually getting worse and they're still there. Meanwhile, yeah. we're in the spectacle.
0: Yeah, it's tied to the commodity. And the spectacle is the other side of money in a certain way. It's, it's tied to market economies. It's tied to a critique of political economy in, in ways that, yeah, Baudrillard leaves behind. Um, but that would be a, a line to draw right. Like if you're a postmodern theorist, then the simulation is completely unmoored. There's no determining – there's nothing behind it determining it it's completely self-contained to use like a really loose description. Whereas the spectacle is still reflecting the economic system that we're under. It's reflecting a new phase of that economic system. It's tied to market economies and globalization and mass media, but ultimately he pins the image to the commodity and he's making use of commodity fetishism and alienation marxist concepts but but we don't you know in it, that that stuff becomes contested in the postmodern era so i mean it's it it's it i think it's that marxist basis um whereas and then and then contemporary marxists seem to leave the board out when they're going through the the Canon, right? Like Althusser is the big reference for this time. There's no Debord as far as I see. He just gets moved into like cultural theory and people do like media studies with his concepts, but they're not, you know, they're not using him to orient their interpretation of Marx in the same way that, you know, Althusser does. And for good reason, he wrote a lot more stuff directly related to Marx than Debord's just kind of detouring Marx, right? He's not really trying to say anything about capital or the critique of political economy
1: well other people might not have talked very much about him so he wrote another book on himself <laughs> comments on the <his> <laughs> <work>. comments <laughs> on his own book and the whole thing is actually doubling down it's still full of all the great pithy statements one of my favorites is once the spectacle stops talking about something for three days it's like it never existed and I'm like, yeah.
0: that's cute. You thought it was three days? Because ours yeah. is ours is like forty Our seconds. 24 hour news cycle. That's what it is. That's what it is. What's it everyone's forgot about everyone's forgot about climate change denial now and we're all hopping on the happy train together. It's just we can't do anything about it because of systemic issues, man. No.
1: But basically the book is doubling down. Um actually using examples, which is handy, points to a lot of examples from from the 80s especially, in politics. Um, Some of which I didn't understand because it was about European politics in the 80s, which is far from my area of specialties. But he says, I was right. I was right, I was right, I was right. What do you think about this I was right, despite 1967, the first book coming right before this failed revolution that was like pretty much everything that the situationists could have hoped for. May 68 is the biggest publicist situation and it didn't get any of the psychological awakening or the consciousness production that they hoped for even though it looks to me like they got pretty much everything they could have wanted.
0: Yeah, it it sort of becomes another spectacle in the in the sort of procession of the development of the spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, ca- I can't see what he could be wrong about in a way. Cause yeah, he ma- he does make a lot of those sort of like very general statements and it's difficult. Yeah. To that's the thing. That wrong.
2: Is Isn't that, that might be like part of my frustration with the whole way in which the spectacle is framed and maybe why I kind of find it boring uh, is because the claim seems to be so broad and so general that it's really hard to tell if he's right or wrong or, like, where he could be wrong.
1: Non-falsifiable?
2: Non-falsifiable, yeah. 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 Uh, to me, like, what makes exciting philosophy or part of exciting philosophy, in my opinion, is, like, when it's a really interesting claim that I'm like, hmm, is that true? And I can actually think about it? Because this, it's so broad, he just makes a general description, and I'm like, yeah, that kind of seems right. And then it's just, like, not much else to think about. It's kind of boring.
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe this gets back to like a more fundamental issue about how, you know, the, the air we breathe or whatever, f- fish and water. It's, it's really hard to get a handle on like what's going on now <laughs> until many, many years later when a lot of its consequences have fully unfolded. Then we could look back <laughs> and get a clear a clearer picture now when when we're swimming in that history of change like it's really hard to get a sense of like what the dominant trends are you know you think you've spotted some dominant trends and then something else overtakes it and and how do you foresee it like you can't making predictions is difficult right
2: but isn't it but isn't the way that he's described this though like the only way in which this could not be true to some extent would be if if we went back to like some anarcho-primitivist society or like no or maybe that's too over and over exaggeration, like that I don't know we would have to like turn our backs on media technology, like completely which isn't going to happen like as long as there's visual media technology that is like having a great effect on our culture then the spectacle will always be true no,
1: only when maybe. it's private and listen I'll let oh, him only when it's private I'll let I'll let him answer you because he answers you. As to the spectacle itself, I was sometimes accused of having invented it out of thin air and was always accused of indulging myself to excess in my evaluation of its depth and unity and its real workings. I must admit that others who later published new books on the same subject demonstrated that it was possible to say less. (laughs) All they had to do was replace the totality and its movement by a single static detail on the surface of the phenomenon, which each, uh, with each author demonstrating his originality by choosing a different and all the less disturbing one. No one wanted to taint the scientific modesty of his imper- of his personal interpretation by interposing reckless historical judgments. So I think what he's kind of suggesting is you have to think of this thing as a totality, not as the whole world, but a totalization of every private experience. And if you try, this is, again, he's got a hugely inflated ego. I mean, that's my, the way that I understand it. He's like, there's no way that I could be wrong because the only thing that I can talk about is the whole thing at once as a giant historical tumor that we're all stuck inside. And if you want to talk about this detail or that detail, then you're just trying to make yourself feel better by making the problem less than it is. So, I don't know. Maybe true. Maybe not.
0: Oh, this is, this is like Lukacs and the publication of the Grundrisse as well, right? The idea of totality. You have to look at the whole system. Like, you know, like Marx's full capital, right? We often just read volume one and then think it's all about production relations when later he's going to talk about, you know, markets and banking and interest and and all that. stuff. But we leave that stuff out because, A, you know, there's two more fucking massive volumes and B, he died. And they're edited, a lot, a lot of it, especially the third volume, is, is, is a little bit not put together in the final form, maybe, that Marx would have done it. Engels is good faith editing, but he wasn't Marx. But anyway, for one reason or other, it's a little one-sided sometimes.
1: What's hilarious about Debord is that he said Marx almost ruined Marxism by writing all of that stuff. Because, and he said the reason for this was that Marx alienated himself, or I, I shouldn't say alienated because it's a technical term, but he isolated himself in in the British library or whatever. He left the working class and started trying to defend himself against all these critiques. And then his, his system became over-intellectualized, scientific Marxism, as opposed to his earlier humanist stuff says this became overly intellectualized and became an obstacle to later Marxist movements.
0: So interesting. interesting. And you have that and there you have that sort of people trying to stake a claim on what part of Marx is the best. <laughs> Which is to me a completely futile and 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 fruitless endeavor is to say what's better late Marx, early Marx? Is there continuity? Is there rupture? I mean, oh, my God, I don't know. I I don't know about any of that. Marx (laughs) studied in the Library of London because London was the most advanced center of capital in the world at the time and had an extraordinary set of resources for him to look through. And more than any place on the planet at that time. So I don't understand that. (laughs) critiquing him for writing capital in the best place in the whole world you could possibly (laughs) write that book Uh, okay Uh, yeah I'm gonna go I'm gonna write about Canada but I'm gonna go do it on Mars because I I (laughs) like to like what the fuck is that I don't understand that but yeah okay early Marx is better humanist Marxism okay I get where he's coming from I just don't really
1: care at least he takes a position a strong position so one thing I wanted to compare this to um as kind of a defense of him actually i know i've been shooting on his huge head but uh he's very doctrinally consistent about i think what you'd call the organic intellectual and if I, he never brings it up it's it's uh what's his name gramsci's con, con uh, idea concept yeah. of the organic intellectual that is like Connected to the people, the majority, and all that, as opposed to the intelligentsia. And Debord very clearly does not want to be an intellectual. He clearly doesn't want to be a philosopher, an academic, this kind of thing that we're used to reading. So, I, this might be part of Victor's aversion to the style because it's non falsifiable, sort of manifesto like. It's meant to be re- read by pretty much anyone. Anyone could read it and like beam their own life onto the page in a sense. But do you think that that helps at all? Or are you just saying, I'm a a philosopher, so I want a philosophy book that's given me falsifiable claims leading to a thesis with a conclusion that I can actually engage with. But do you think it's helpful that he's doing this public intellectual thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't actually have a problem with it. I, like, I even said uh, that I broadly agree with a lot of the account. I just, it, it might, it's, I think it's just a question of personal taste. Uh, I, I don't f- enjoy this kind of, I actually have no problem with manifestos either, though, because I think manifestos can be interesting to engage with. But I do have issue with, like, the non-falsifiability of it. I, you know, I have an issue, I have a similar issue with the way that Foucault talks about power sometimes also just like, I don't, uh, I, my eyes start to glaze over when the, a theorist is pushing forward a concept that just applies to so many things where I feel like, what are the interesting distinctions? Uh, I think Foucault does make a lot more distinctions than Debord. So I actually do find Foucault interesting in a lot of places, but yeah, I mean, I, I take that point, uh,
1: Wait, where this is going to take us a little bit off topic, but just because you brought it up, aren't you kind of mistaking the Foucault's conclusion for the way he got to his conclusion? Because it's very empirical. It's very empirical the way he gets there through studying like the clinic or the
0: prison. Yeah, yeah. Tracing the evolution of of those ideas. You know, he's a historian. This is the thing the spectacle takes away from us: is our history. You're right. You're right.
2: Actually, so that so. That is actually a huge difference because I think the conclusion is more, yeah, is more the thing that I could compare with. Whereas it feels like DeBoer doesn't even do all that work to get to the conclusion that Foucault does.
1: Yeah, he gives us we we covered this last week. He gives us a four page summary of all of human history to this point. Exactly, exactly. But yeah. I mean, I I mean, I don't,
2: I don't want to drive us too off topic. But if we were to get rid of like as long as we have some kind of visual media we're going to be in the spectacle and you guys i think both said well only if it's like privately owned or functioning and i guess that seems a little puzzling to me because like it has to be more than just who owns it
0: right oh, yeah. doesn't state, it also have to be state owned media is fair game for the spectacle as well exactly so exactly. oh,
1: i didn't i didn't mean private in terms of who owns it rather private in its consumption okay cuz he says he says there's two kinds of like responses to public art or we could just, let's just call it content because art brings all these associations. There's two uh, uh, ways to do content and one is publicly. And if you do it publicly, then you create a crowd as a corollary to it. But that crowd is unified. They're together. Um, I think you could maybe a movie theater would be a good example, or like a, the you are all there experiencing it together, as opposed to if everyone's watching TVs isolatedly in their own homes. Then you have a crowd, but it's a crowd of individuals, as opposed to a crowd with its own, um, organicism. So when he's talking before he wrote the Society of Spectacle, when he's talking about the layout of cities, the layout of cities decides what kind of crowd you get public art decides what kind of crowds you get. So I think he'd be very in favor of um art forms like a mural maybe as a public art or or I don't I don't know, but whatever we're doing here, like letting people consume through their headphones, this is the opposite of what he would have uh, espoused, I think.
2: Oh, so that's yeah. what you meant by private and public. You meant just like the 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 the, the uh right the method with which the media is being consumed or like the the form um i'm not i'm not getting the right word but yeah like so so if
1: you're the phenomenology of it if you will
2: yeah yeah, yeah. the phenomenology of it so if you're doing it as an individual then that's becoming the spectacle but like could you imagine like not having any of that like not having any private consumption like is that Man, like what does that no, even look and, like
0: no and that's probably part of the point
2: <laughs> yeah but but i guess like when were people only consuming publicly? I, I guess when we had no technology.
1: No, May sixty eight.
2: Oh, okay. So <laughs> <it's> moments moment. <laughs> that
1: of- was my original thing. It's like you, you got it. You got it the year after you wrote the book. You got your chance to. Okay, so we can we have
0: well, that's, moments that's, of it. That, that was, was it- a situation, right? The Situationists. Yeah, the the sixty eight was a situation, but it, it quickly gets folded back into spectacle
1: yeah, he also talks about the Watts riots in an earlier writing, as Eric read a, a couple weeks ago. but here's a here's a good question. to what extent or to what degree is a riot a form of public art?
0: yeah, those are those are like eruptions of of the like discontents, but they have to erupt in the context of spectacle. like you can't. there's no other context. Right. Even like you look at this podcast, right? Like we're yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, we do this for free and we dabble with crowdfunding. But in a sense, this is all extension of commodities. These images, sound images, visual images, whatever we're doing, they're extensions of commodities in the market, right? All the products we use, our crowdfunding platform, our streaming platforms, like everything is, this is all commodity imagery. Like it, this wouldn't exist without, without that spectacle being a kind of I, I don't know I don't want it's not an epiphenomenon because it contains re- real in it. It's not just an epiphenomenon of the market. It's a it's an evolution of it. So even what we're doing here, like even though we you know we do it for quote unquote free, <laughs> for donation for donations, but you know. Be, being honest, yeah, yeah, we're 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 constructing, we're producing images for consumption in, in a marketplace. We wouldn't exist without it. I don't think you can escape it. But you know what? What you're saying earlier about um, yeah, his personal or it's like our, the the way he puts his claims out. I think for me, what makes me if I had enough more time want to study. The spectacle, as the board puts it, is because it seems it feels like it speaks to me on a level of like my discontent, right? Like I hate living in a market society where all of the, you know, all of the dignified and and, and all of the best, you know, deeds and emotions and things of like humans are all reduced to profit, consumption commercials advertisements like I hate that world you know advertising determines our behaviors and our desires and our the way we use language and you know I can't think of love or friendship without a movie or a fucking hallmark or something like that, right? All these profit endeavors, all these corpse businesses. Like I I just I don't know. The spectacle speaks to me at a fundamental level of my discontent with the world around me. <laughs> no, that's and, good. I mean I think
2: that's actually a useful insight to have. Um and that's also kind of always been my sort of suspicion, not suspicion is not the right word, but kind of my hunch about why this work speaks to some people and not to others. And this might even be kind of true of other sorts of thinkers, theorists in this realm. Is it speaking to your discontent? Um, And I have a feeling, um, based on my kind of cursory look at our Discord, that there are a lot of people who uh, Debord speaks to their discontent, and therefore it is an appealing uh, approach.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then I don't know, then going beyond that to assess the quality of the arguments like I don't know, it doesn't seem like he he's written it to, for that to be done to it. And it's 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 seductiveness is is based on I think when you're when you agree with what he's saying already, in a certain sense not like preaching to the choir but when you sort of already are th- thinking on that wavelength of you know there's something fundamentally wrong here with the world he he gives you a, a way of articulating it and, and it helps that he's an amazing stylist of prose he's a really like it's hard to deny that he's a, a, a great writer it's just what he's saying is 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 what we're kind of having trouble with
2: (laughs) yeah and and, you know interestingly like i don't actually think i disagree like i've been saying with with the broad picture uh
1: i just think it's kind of boring (laughs) okay let me let me bring up here he says there's one thing really only one only one that needs to be updated in 20 years okay um i love this cover by the way do you guys have this one i don't the be- the cover victor is showing us very disrespectfully to, the-, <laughs> to the-, the listeners the audio audience is one where they have the 3d or the fake glasses on very common one look at my look at this yeah. one it's just the yeah.
0: words that was like a film in the 40s or 50s um where everybody's sitting in rows yeah the first 3d glasses film And it's, yeah, it was chosen for one of the early covers of Society of the Spectacle.
2: This is so weird, though. My edition doesn't have page numbers. It
1: has the aphorism numbers, but no page
2: numbers. Not that that, I guess that matters. Anyway, sorry.
1: My book has a New Yorker comment on the back, which I think is good enough reason to throw it out. uh. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, the one thing that needs to be changed, he says, on a theoretical level, I only need to add a single detail to my earlier formulation albeit one that has far-reaching consequences. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a pretty big detail. Yeah, he's like, re- he says in '67, there's two types of spectacle. One belongs to America and Americanism, which is the diffuse spectacle, mean, meaning that it's, it's everywhere. It's a whole bunch of private corporations. There's no like central organizing feature to it. And then the other type of spectacle is uh, Stalinism and Maoism, which is called Concentrated Spectacle.
0: Which we would probably call in sort of normie economic terms, like free market capitalists and like centralized or planned economy capitalism. But he basically says Maoism is a personality cult. Everyone has to be obsessed
1: with Mao. You can't criticize Mao. You get the book, the Red Book and all that stuff. So they have their own spectacle. He's just as critical of that side of it as uh, the American side of it and the one detail he wants to add which is not a detail it's a huge distinction is to add that we also have integrated spectacles and for him the integrated spectacle describes just the middle of those other two things which is for him or it makes use the, of both in the 80s it's uh France and Italy are the examples that
0: that he gives they they've they implemented the the um i i don't know what his reference here is but yeah they somehow implemented this integrated spectacle which makes use of both then they say he says it he says it it um the integrated spectacle is both diffuse and what was the other one concentrated I'll,
1: I'll just read the quotation The integrated spectacle shows itself to be simultaneously concentrated and diffuse. And ever since the fruitful union of the two has learned to employ both these qualities on a grander scale, the former mode of application has changed considerably as regards concentration. The controlling center has now become a cult never to be occupied by a known leader or a clear clear ideology. So the, point of it i suppose is to have you you don't have the concentration in like a single personality cult but i think you could apply this to something like a neoliberal party would be the example is we have a spectacle there's a right wing and a left wing but the left wing is like the dnc for example so that's your 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 choice is fake and it's not completely diffuse because you're not allowed to have any other, or no, no opinions really count, right? There's no left wing in, in the United States, for example. And in the, in the French government in the 80s, it's just like the, the Communist Party is withering away, <laughs> and not in the way that Marx intended, but it's withering away and being replaced by this like uh, leftist, social democrat kind of, kind of party.
0: It's almost like he's saying it's schizophrenic, in in a certain in, in the te- in the sense of 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 being of like sort of being able to live with two contradictory ways of approaching the world, like centralized and autocratic, like the way Western countries tend to treat you know non-Western or developing countries, but then it can also be very diffuse and sort of not authoritarian and kind like western countries treat their own people exactly or like within the same political system having Democrats and Republicans right like one's the diffuse party the other one's the concentrated party but they're both this they're both they're both corporate capitalist parties there there's there's no difference between them except in their presentation
1: well the point is they're functionally interchangeable right like in whether the conservatives or the liberals are in charge of Canada, it, it makes very little difference. But you unlike in a concentrated spectacle where it's like Mao is the guy. Everything is good if it's Mao, but then Mao also has to take blame for everything that goes wrong, right? And in a in an integrated spectacle, you know, Bill Clinton gets a blowjob, you get rid of him, the next guy comes in. So it's always like it's a it's an office that you can never really associate with an individual. The individual becomes a momentary pinata when something goes wrong, but then you replace it. So you never get to what's actually in charge, what's actually running the system, how much does it ultimately cost to become president, who's, uh, who do you got to get on your knees for to be even in that office. But the integrated spectacle is you never really know who's in charge. But it, but it still gives you something to direct your hate at. You can hate something for two minutes and then it disappears,
2: yeah. you know, I mean, that kind of that sort of makes me feel like there's never actually been a truly diffused spectacle. Like, like, so it seems to me that you you do have examples of concentrated spectacle because you have had, like, like brutally authoritarian like regimes but i don't know has like a truly like purely market oriented like con- like like context ever actually existed like i feel like it's always been um like
1: integrated well this is kind of where the spectacle becomes stupid because the spectacle applies to entertainment and to politics and to news and this is an uh, it's another point that he makes is that all these things are interconnected in the integrated spectacle because a financier, a financier's daughter can become a singer. He just pays for it, basically. A uh, a lawyer can become a police spy. A football player can become a politician overnight. Uh, as we are are seeing, we're seeing that each of these aspects of the spectacle are just completely interchangeable. All you need is celebrity status. Once you're celebrity status, you can become a you can start have a startup. Or you can be a fashion icon, or you can be a politician, and I could fill that in with examples, but I'm sure I don't even need to go that far. So all these things are integrated, but I think you're right in that, like, if is it, as applied to politics, which is what he wants to do half of half of the time, uh, it doesn't make sense to really talk about a diffuse spectacle. But when it comes to something like advertising or the advertising space, that that is a diffuse spectacle. That is just objects with. With no center, nothing to do with each other, all vying for your attention at exactly the same time. Yeah, it's exactly. probably worth
0: mentioning the definition he chooses for this piece as well, because we kind of had a bit of an issue with that in the society, because he says so many different things about it at so many different places, and they all say, like, the spectacle is this. And here he just says, it's the autocratic reign of the market economy in in section two there he says it's the autocratic reign of the market economy that's what it is the market economy come to dominate globally he said and he continues on which has acceded to an irresponsible sovereignty and and I guess this is another part of the definition and it's the totality of new techniques of government which accompanied this reign. so new techniques of government and dominance of a market economy and new techniques in response to that domination or bringing about that domination a little less clear but uh yeah yeah that's what it is so there's a there's a diffuse style of market economy and there's a connected style of techniques of government and i guess those diffuse and concentrated techniques again are just both available now in the integrated spectacle as well as you know advertising i don't know what a concentrated form of like a market economy would be i guess you'd i guess it would be like like East Berlin before the fall of the wall, <laughs> something like that, more like a planned economy again, with our decisions and our tax money are going towards exploiting dangerous underwater stores. Like Anyway, you can pile up the examples. Yeah, there's so much concentrated. We think we live in a free market economy, a diffuse economy. Well, really, no, there's, there's a huge core Of these decisions that that nobody got to make except out of necessity in some situation, whatever, building highways for the war, whatever it is. You know, cars, right? You know, you live in a suburb, you drive a car. No fucking choice. That's it. I like to use public transit. Too bad it's shit here and the the lobbies of the car companies have been fucking the government over whenever they want to improve it anyway. So, okay, there's there's a mix of concentrated and diffused, by the way. You can go out and buy whatever brand of beer you want. So, cool. There's a diffusion for you. Yeah, you're way too concerned with the real, man. You, just, <laughs> y- you have a choice. You can watch
1: NBC or <laughs> CNN
0: yeah, or Fox
1: News. Yeah, there you go. You can there read you National Post or CBC. Yeah,
0: really, they all run like the same sort of sets of stories every day. It seems It's kind of like both choice and no choice put together. <laughs> Whichever one needs to be put forward, that's the one that serves whatever rhetorical purpose of the moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, it makes sense to me. I, I like that distinction, to be honest. It adds a little bit. Uh, to, you know, the spectacle, yeah, the spectacle's got these different forms. And then they eventually become integrated. okay? Certain places practice one or the other form more and then globe and then it becomes globalized and kind of integrated and appears in both forms without a kind of logic. It can appear within democracies concentrated, whatever. Yeah, I kind of like that. I mean, it adds a bit of meat to it anyway. And if it's the autocratic regime of the market and the techniques of government,
2: okay. And I think both you're, I mean, really, it's almost like two ends of a spectrum with no such point in history ever reaching either end. And you just have like
0: different points on that spectrum where they're kind of closer to being diffused or closer to being concentrated. Yeah, Which is the same as free and planned market anyway. There's never been a free or a planned economy, but, but- but now it seems like the point is i guess that it it just swerves more there's no way you know you find you know bureaucratic capitalism in china you find you know more kind of liberal capitalism in other places but it can appear in either form within those contexts anyway it doesn't make a difference in the integrated spectacle so much
1: yeah one thing i'd caution against though is this is not about the spectacle is not about actual economies and who owns what it's always about what is said about actual economies and what is said about who owns what one of those common examples is like western media will use as an example of how free and liberal it is point to how extremely censored and controlled chinese media is for for an example
2: all the time i mean they they, i mean they are they also yeah.
1: just control, they have like a median, like state controlled media that, yeah. that sends so out a consistent message. So it's centralized, but what DeBoer is saying is being being diffuse makes it no less subject to ideology production than being centralized. It's exactly the same thing in the end. Well, uh, I mean, I
2: think there's, you can make an argument for like why the difference could be relevant, but in terms of just whether or not you're in, well, first of all, you just can't ever escape the spectacle. So. What difference does it really make from that perspective? Sure I also agree with Zizek in just thinking that ideology is a spontaneous uh, kind of production of human subjectivity, so you can't escape ideology regardless of what context you're in
1: but there is a real outside, and the private interests determine what are the talking points of the day so you it doesn't like it doesn't matter which which What's funding Fox News? Because once Fox News says it, then CNN News responds to Fox News and they do a news report on the other people's news report. So it doesn't matter if you're, that you're not bringing up fossil fuel industry corruption or the negligence of, of the, the, the people therein. It doesn't matter that you never have to bring those up because it's censored by the very act of the production of the news, which is news on news. And you t- have to talk about the same thing that the other, the other network is talking about, so that you never talk about the real. So even if it's like a contingent or unconscious avoidance of anything that he calls the real, of any questions of ownership, it doesn't really matter because it's just words on both sides and words on words and words re-
0: reacting. Two words which like i always say when john oliver does those like a uh, news roundup clips on, on last week tonight and he plays all the different news stations saying the exact same thing like like 20 30 40 different ones and they're all saying almost exactly the same lines all the way up from like the news stories to the little silly things like it's uh I don't know. It's 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 pumpkin latte time at your at the at la, at Starbucks again. They all say that at the same time of the year. <laughs> they yeah, they are. They're commenting on each other. It's not about- I,
2: I I agree with that. I just think that I'll always kind of resist the suggestion that like there's no difference between like a context in like a Chinese like authoritarian regime and a liberal democratic one. Like I agree with the broad thing that there's a kind of self reinforcing influence, but like one obvious difference is. If we were in China,
0: our podcast couldn't exist. I mean, there are residual differences, but I don't know. Like, like, again, that's like those differences Dude, have been broken down for that. to such a large degree.
2: Yeah. Like the internet Citation uh, needed. You're saying you think that our podcast where we could just say whatever we want and, and gain an audience could just would be naturally allowed to evolve unmolested in China.
1: Yeah. It's small and it's about obscure philosophy. Oh, We can
0: say it. Well, okay. But that's a huge difference. Well, we have to watch our jobs,
1: right? We can't. We can't. Can't criticize people in power, dude. It's- dude, you declared with absolute, self-assured certainty that this podcast couldn't exist in China, and I asked you for a citation, and then you asked what I think. The citation's needed from you that the CCP, even in China, gives a shit about what three guys with four or five thousand listeners think. Because I do not believe it's that totalitarian. But I'm willing to be proven wrong. Huh. Centralized yeah. I think it's fair. Exactly. Before I just okay, fine. I'll look it up out. right now. Well,
0: hold on. We, we talked before and we, we agreed there are certain things we can't discuss, right? Like we can't name names. We can't. We shouldn't talk too specifically about certain things going on at our jobs, right? We are not free. That freedom is just rerouted in a slightly different way. We can't say whatever we want on this podcast. And that, whatever, whether it's just moral considerations or worries about censorship and 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 formal reprisal, I mean, yeah, there's a difference there. I
2: mean, I just it, wouldn't equate those perfectly. two things. Like, 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 I mean, if there's someone who, you know, there there might be certain things where we don't want to like take a chance, uh, or like personal relationships that we don't want to talk about publicly. I mean, that seems way different than a centralized government authority that's like monitoring communication and deciding what's like in the interests of the regime or not in interest, like in the interest of the regime. Like there's no there's no like monitoring by centralized government authorities who are checking to make sure we're not saying anything that they don't like. Different I mean, culture, for the most part, we but... can say anything about the culture, about politicians, about public figures
1: without any anxiety. How is it that you think China is like that or that China would ever act that way towards a podcast with 5K listens per episode? You need evidence for a claim like that, because otherwise you're just repeating an opinion that you got from the National Post diffuse spectacle. And I'm just saying my suspicion is that's bullshit unless you have evidence, because most of what our news says about China is at best a half truth.
2: Well, look at right right now. I mean, okay, so so if your standard is going to be like any media, any reporting on China, and the, like that's, and you're just going to dismiss that as always being influenced by like Western propaganda, then I mean, then we can't really have a conversation about it.
1: I asked you. I said, provide me your citation. You said I'll look for it, and you didn't bring it up. I have. I mean, I have an
2: article here that's talking about like China's podcasters are wary of censorship as their popularity grows from uh i don't know where this is from south china morning post let's see navigating china's podcast censorship asia central well let's see here i think there might
0: have been something about apple apple uh well look what's happening to journalists right now in russia right like there's people who are going to prison maria panora sentenced to six years in prison for her war reporting right now okay like okay so russia is cracking down i some, think some other person just got in was it in 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 iraq or something i don't want to say the wrong place but they got arrested for a instagram post that they put up right and the government's cracking down and- here's a guardian article that's saying uh you know Ch- uh, apple removing podcasts uh at the best of the chinese government you know, we could find similar examples here. We may have to reach around a little bit, but okay, like who's, who's being deported from England right now to America to stand trial for certain things they've said, right? There's somebody that that's happening to. Like these things happen in all contexts. It's not specific to China or Russia. It just depends on the situation. There's wars and conflicts going on. I'm
2: not. I'm not saying we that crack there's not. Down on that. I'm not saying that there's not authority that we can argue and criticize, which we, by the way, have full freedom to do. That happen in Western countries. I'm not saying that. I'm what I'm saying is, what I'm resisting is making an equivalence, being like these things are the same. It's all basically the same spectacle. It's all basically. I'm like, no, no. There's actually like real substantive difference that have an impact on our life and. Uh, I just uh, like I'm, I'll always resist people who will just be like, "It's all the same shit. It's all centralized power." Like it's not, it's not at all.
0: Well, that's fine if it's a point like that. That's not very nuanced. Just about
2: making distinct. No, what I'm saying is what I'm actually calling for is more nuance. Like yeah. I think there can be this this move by people who are sympathetic to kind of like left left wing politics, where they want to kind of say, "I'm not necessarily saying you're doing this pills, but just just." Kind of being like, yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, everyone's, you know, controlling and censoring. And I think it's actually worth being nuanced and making distinctions. Well, what kind of censorship? What kind of freedom do you have? Uh, What are like substantive risks in one context versus another? You can actually talk about them and make meaningful distinctions.
1: I don't know. That's not a meaningful distinction until, which neither of us has, until we have the list of how many podcasts have been pulled in each country, and I mean those pulled by Apple Podcasts or Google or, or Spotify, but that isn't even what you said, because all you said was, for sure, we wouldn't be allowed to do this podcast
0: if we were in China. Well, let me round this up and bring it back to the text, because what we seem to be kind of stopped at right now is, is is the spectacle a homogenous kind of phenomenon? Is it is it globally homogenous? And I, I think the answer is probably what you're saying is no, <laughs> there are different things that happen in different real places in the world <laughs> geographically, it's not all floating in some nowhere land of the spectacle. There are real distinctions where and when you say things, different things can happen to you. It's their context is still important in the spectacle. Okay, that's that's fine. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an important point. I don't know if, if he addresses that here. I think the integrated spectacle is maybe looking forward maybe we're running too far ahead of what he's saying by making those claims by saying you know ah it's the same i could criticize xi jinping in china i can criticize biden in the states exactly the same nothing will happen to me okay well yeah no maybe not right (laughs) that's probably not the case but i think it's pointing forward just like when we look back, we've seen maybe a liberalization of those countries and an acceptance of, you know, we're, we're far past the cultural revolution where you could go to political prison for like winking the wrong way at a politi- at an official. But now... And then the integrated spectacle may be pointing forward to a point where there's less of that, like where context seems to matter less, or at least spectacle is the context, and it's not geographically determined or culturally determined.
1: And like the main point that he's making in saying that it's all the same is that effectually it's all the same. He's not talking about one individual might be arrested as opposed to another individual saying the same thing somewhere else, they might not be arrested. But if you want to call it global market capitalism, anywhere, the effect is, is the same, whether you're in China or in Los Angeles. Yeah. Like
0: there's maybe a developmental tendency in the same direction, but there's no erasure of those differences. Maybe, maybe they're kind of being contested like, you know, Nah, I don't know. I, 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 I can't go too much further down this line because I don't have enough of the board here to kind of even predict how he would respond. Uh,
2: I mean, I, look, I, I think it's, that's fair. I just think it's weird to be like blind to like some very specific differences in terms of quality of life and, like, for example, your ability to be creative and be critical for your ability to like mock things and make fun of things. Like, I mean, in China, like there were those people who were comparing Xi Jinping to like Winnie the Pooh and they were getting fucking arrested and shit because they thought it was funny. That's I mean, that's that's like that's like a very and like, you know, on a podcast where I think we value mocking and making fun of things. I think like that's I think it would be hard to do that. A similar thing in China if you're doing it about any people in positions of authority.
0: You can do that here. You can do that here. Definitely. But you have to do it differently. Right. Like. You know, you cut you you say something about Trump and he does a slap suit, right? That's how he censors his opposition. I mean, he could try, he could try, but slapsuits like, fuck people over. Those are not something to be. You uh, know, you slap I mean, suit, how you many people?
2: To- I mean, how many people have actually has he sent a slapsuit of? I mean, he's been, he, he was being he was getting and same lots, lots, he was getting mercilessly, mercilessly thing. made fun of all the time, and and like a vast majority of those people. And I'm pretty sure most of those lawsuits got got thrown out pretty quickly well, with, went from, out for, because of anti-slap lawsuits.
1: I want to I want you to apply your own logic to China, not because I know anything about China, but you're like, this is so widespread, they're gonna be listening to a podcast of this size if we criticize Jiu Jupin. No, we could probably exist there absolutely fine because we're not we're on anyone's radar. The, radar the, Winnie, <laughs> the Winnie the Pooh thing got on the radar because it was like international news. And every every Western diffuse spectacle wanted to be like, look at how unfree they over, they are over there. And then you repeating the point is the only thing that I'm objecting to because I want evidence of how repressive is it it was not like we wouldn't be affected even if we were in that situation that's yeah it's possible uh, it's possible that
2: we yeah, wouldn't be affected for for the yeah, first yeah. while i i just think that yeah there is a sense in which there's a risk there's like so you know if we want to continue to grow the audience like that risk is always going to be in the background the bigger audience we get we'll start to feel a little bit more
0: anxious right like we don't have to worry about that now that may that's a real difference yeah, i concede to the point that we have zero risk and they have some yeah, there is, a, there is a sense in which we do hang on to our diffuseness here in the West and our freedom here in the West. But I think overall, in the totality of the spectacle, the integrated spectacle, there is a way in which... Maybe we could say the diffuse parts tend to reinforce the concentratedness of the concentrated parts and vice versa. The, con- the, the the diffuse parts use the concentrated parts to define themselves and thereby make those concentrated parts react. And the concentrated parts do the same thing to the diffuse parts, like what Russia does in the news with all that disinformation and, and funding both sides of a, a controversy, right? Like the concentrated parts can then fuck with the diffuse parts but it's all taking place on the same field, right? And we're not playing different sports anymore. We're on the same pitch playing the same sports and it's not even two sides. The two sides are mixed. <laughs> with no, each. yeah, integrated. sure, I agree, I agree. Yeah, exactly. I, I
1: agree, I agree with that. And <laughs> that's why he says the integrated the integrated one is the best, not the best for us, obviously, but he says it is the best, it's the most globally adopted. It's, it's and you can, Frieza
0: third form, it's the third form now of Frieza. <laughs> And that these conflicts like the war in the Ukraine and the and the looming economic war with China do have a way of clarifying the differences between the contexts in a way that we just don't give a shit about when we're not in a conflict with some other huge nation into this on this scale. Right. Like the war in Syria has not really gotten the same attention. You know, one one billion dollars of aid being requested for fifty thousand people dying versus the four billion now being requested in the Ukraine for about the same, maybe less people who are being displaced. Why the difference? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with that racism the news was pointing out a year or two ago with the 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 Middle Eastern refugees versus the Ukrainian refugees. But I actually wanted to talk about one more thing if that's possible because i think this is related to what we've been talking about and that is his seeming end of history argument he makes um and in section four then in section six he starts to bring up this like end of history the spectacular domination's first priority was this is historical i guess now (laughs) first priority was to eradicate historical knowledge the 24 news cycle thing we were talking about now is being implemented. He's pointing this out in section six. He makes an end of history argument in a sense, right? Whereas, and he kind of compares this in the ancient Greeks, right? Like Herodotus and Thucydides, their, their theory of history was to preserve for all time these great deeds and events of Greeks and non-Greeks in whatever the Persian Wars, whatever, the, to preserve for posterity and all time immortalize these things in in our historical writings. Now, he uses that as a point of contrast. The spectacle, however, does not want a history. It wants almost like a perpetual present Where in France, some 10 years since now, a president of the Republic, long ago forgotten, but at the time still basking on the spectacle's surface, naively expressed his delight in knowing that henceforth we will live in a world without memory, where images flow and merge like reflections on the water. So the end of history gives power a welcome break, he says, and success is guaranteed in all its undertakings. So our short collective memory. the spectacles erasing our memory. It's a bit of a pharmacon in this way. Um, a bit of a, in, in Der does' sense. Um, I looked for that citation by the way where because I was like, this is
1: great where the the president is apparently talking about memory floating away. We live in a time without memory and speaking of it positively because I assume he was talking about Midoran probably. I couldn't find any any citation you think that he sourced this. Up? I think he probably made it up, <laughs> <laughs> or he or he was doing the podcast thing where you just you cite something from memory because I couldn't find any reference to that
0: except from this book. Oh, again, he's he's doing the Greek thing, making shit up, <laughs> citing from memory, <laughs> to hearsay and stories. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an end of history argument. What is like like Fukuyama's is made. Of, about a year after this, is it like a year? Yeah, Fukuyama. 1989 or 90? I forget. It was like right after the fall of the Soviet Union. Yeah, once once it's clear, like it doesn't fall officially until 92, I think. Yeah, he writes the end of history, the victory of liberal capitalism. Here we have the victory of the now the integrated spectacle emerging in in his thinking which is kind of interesting uh, an interesting parallel there the so so the victory of liberal capitalism in fukuyama <laughs> which which to be fair he later revises but at this point this is coming out soon and debard is 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 before the fact predicting a kind of end of history but not i guess not on the basis of the fall of uh, the communist regimes m- most uh, prized uh, prized nation yeah,
1: when I when I was reading this, I was like cuz I mean, in a sense it's expected because news is not about it's not called olds, it's about what's new. But could you imagine if like Anderson Cooper ever gave historical context to any of the story of the day? I think that would be shocking. Because the whole thing, I mean, unconsciously and Perhaps a little bit consciously, as the board is is expecting, the news is meant to dominate all media consumption, tire you out from it, never reference anything about history because if you thought about history, you might think about how things could have been different, how things could have gone a different way instead of justifying the the status quo completely. but can you i yeah, I was thinking we have we do have diverse enough media through you know podcasting and and youtube and independent creators but i you you will very very rarely if ever hear a something near the center of the spectacle bring up historical justifications or examples except for the pure purpose of like jingoism talking about abraham lincoln or defeating the nazis maybe those are the vague references they make but Nothing that happens today is ever a result of something that happened in the past.
0: Yeah, or we we, we never make that connection. Here here his examples are book burning here. <laughs> he talks about book burning in the in the, I guess, in the concentrated regimes of say like what does he say and, and Sin Che Huang Ti had book burn burnings in our own century, Stalin went further Yet, despite the various accomplices, there remain an area of the world beyond the reach of his police. Okay, no memory. We're not allowed to have a kind of like collective historical memory. I don't know. Maybe maybe we feel that in, in, in North America because of our colonial past. We don't tend to talk about it as much. Anytime time we've forced to talk about it, it's so fucking contentious and the news wants to run it for as little time as possible because it's not very politically um, um, beneficial to be discussing this in a white colonial settler nation. Um, this not, doesn't get you political brownie points to talk about the plight of indigenous people and, and former slaves and, and, and any marginalized people here. So we're encouraged to have a short memory. Book burnings. I don't know. You could probably lump the leftist th- pulling statues down and, and, and like pulling down statues of Confederates and, and similar acts on the right. You could lump that in symbolic destruction of history. We don't want to have any of it anymore. What is it what what's he doing with that it's kind of weird how's that part of the spectacle i don't think because the spectacle isn't burning books the spectacle isn't toppling statues or refusing to talk about the past but he says there's a the spectacle has acquired through this advantage through the outlawing of history it's outlawed history not because of the victory of of, of western liberal capitalism but because it's just been banished. And of from- course, it's
1: not officially outlawed either. It just, by the functioning of its technical properties, you don't need to banish it. You just have an,
0: have more TikTok than than yeah, history. Yeah, like his, his ma- and he doesn't, it's odd. He doesn't say anything as like, like, cause I want to say something simplistic and just be like, yeah, because there's just always new news to replace the old news. Like, so how can we keep all this shit in our head? But he doesn't say anything like that. His, his point is that the usurpers, he says, quote, have shared this aim to make us forget that they have only just arrived. The usurpers being, I'm assuming, the bureaucratic capitalist class because they have only just arrived maybe in historical terms, you know, 19th century Industrial Revolution creates the factory owners because obviously there's no factories before then. So how could the fuck could there be factory owners? There's uh, whatever. this bourgeois. New, new class has only just arrived. I'm assuming that's what he's talking about. Merged with governments and made bureaucratic regimes and oligarchies. But they are new. They are new people. They are new people. We had—I don't know—I'm filling in gaps here in my head. There's, you know, the old bear, like the the Rockefellers and 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 all those people who made their money in, in in steel and building railways and electrifying America, et cetera, et cetera. The sort of the sort of um, productivist billionaires. Now there's the new ones who have who have only just just arrived, which are the tech billionaires who are working more downstream from those older folks um who are employing us all and recently firing us all tesla whose star seems to be fading and others like that anyway i just wanted to bring that up because that seems to be what what we were also like the differences between context and censorship we were talking about seems to also go hand in hand because it's near that section of of the end of history Um, the end of history may mean the end of those sorts of contexts so maybe he's a bit ahead of himself here um that's all I want to say anyway. Yeah, I I personally have never experienced this level of focus on the podcast before, talking about the same thing for so many weeks at a time. Um, it's been nice and sobering, but I think we're going to move on now.
1: It's yeah, over. Thank yes. God. Stay tuned. Thank God. Stay tuned for next episode. Oh, good the riddance. Good riddance.
2: Let's do masculinity next. I saw that on the list.
1: Masculinity? Like the manosphere
2: and masculinity. Oh, yeah, let's do that.
1: God. So, so much, much more interesting. Well, I picked this one, so I guess you get the next pick, Victor. But, but wasn't it on case, the list? It was. It was on. It was on the patron list for sure. They they suggested. I'd say
0: just. Uh, I want. I want the best. I'm going to decide based on the reading. I have no problem talking about masculinity, but I'm just uh, the what, what kinds of readings would be. We, we I have some good for? ones That's actually. That's the question. I have some.
2: I, I have. Some, I have a good psychoanalytic book
1: actually that we could read like a chapter from. Uh... So, listener, I, if you've missed, while well, we decide, I don't know why we're doing this now. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> while, we, while we decide on oh our God, next topic, down. masculinity has been suggested, and now it's been publicly suggested, so I don't know how... Well, you could edit this out. I don't know if we do a, a series or a single one, but anyway, if you missed any, any of our month and a half or two months on the spectacle and situationism, which was the last group of people that I know of that saw a purpose of public art or a purpose of art at all, besides, you know, parking investments and changing social consciousness rather naively. We we see in hindsight, but the last people to do that, if you've missed any of that, all the episodes are on the patron. And with that, we confine this to history and history is dead.
2: Thank God. (laughs)
1: last comment last comment on the comment of history how many times because i watched um good morning america i think i have to do a live stream on this i watched good morning america the day after the super bowl and they are obsessed with making history it's like two black quarterbacks played against each other we made history and two brothers on different sides Making history. It's like there's because there's no history, there's this obsession with giving significance of events that are like ultimately absolutely insignificant and no one cares about. But that is what is considered making history. Not changing anything at all about whatever bo- the board would call reality. It's just we made history because we have a new stat. To refer to, to, yeah, isn't that just like yeah, a, the bar has been lowered.
2: It's just like a euphemism for first
0: time that's ever happened.
1: Well, yeah. I think or, we need to read there's... deeper into it, Victor. Not take it for what it's worth on its face.
0: <laughs> all right, <Yeah>. listeners, <laughs> there's a lowering of the bar going on. I think here. <laughs>
2: uh, all right, all right. All
1: right. Every, Sometimes if, it's if there is just no history, lazy language
0: use. If, if there is no collective history that we forge together, then everything is just making history, and, and then there's nothing yeah all right
1: everybody it's done we can find it we can find it to the past
0: see you later put our point de capital i'm on bored one. with the bore so i'm done the boring the okay. boring cut that out <laughs> <laughs> all right all right <laughs>